Good morning, Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. He is Isaac Fitzgerald. It is Tuesday, and you're watching AM to DM. Here's a tweet from Naisha. Twitter is better than Instagram because no one is pretending to be happy. Listen, the timeline is not a perfect place, children, but we got this. <laughs> it is, okay? It's, it's true. It's true. <laughs> it is a little better than Instagram when it comes a to lot better. sharing some nuance, so. explaining uh -huh. things, and having thoughtful messy. conversations. Absolutely. I mean, one, I have just learned over the, the oh my God, a decade I've been on Twitter, just a lot uh, from Twitter, people sharing their own experiences about the tough stuff. Grief, mental health, depression, anxiety. Like, I, these are vibrant conversations on Twitter. Watching how people have talked about Nipsey Hussle right. in the last couple of days, I've learned a lot about him. And, and part of it is the painful, messy, complicated conversation that I definitely don't see on Instagram, and I, I kind of understand that, but I also don't see it on Facebook, and I'm curious as to why. To why that is. All right, so this is my, like, theory, okay. right? One, Instagram, pretty easy. Uh, it rewards smiles, right? It rewards really beautiful shots. You yeah. get a new tattoo, okay. right? You're going to get a picture right after the tattoo yes. is done, uh -huh. and you're going to put the right filter on metaphor. it. It's going to look beautiful, okay. right? Or the a, vacations. Yeah, a yeah. day later, you're uh -huh. not going to post a photo of, like, here it is looking all <laughs> gross and messed okay. up. And if you do, the algorithm probably won't reward that as much, right? So it's kind of expressing that happiness, whereas Twitter really does reward kind of showing a little bit behind the curtain, right? Yeah. I think social authenticity. media is authenticity, especially yeah. back in the early days. One of the things that was the most exciting about, especially as celebrities started to be on it, was you kind of got this peek into their lives mm -hmm. and you got to know how like LeVar Burton, a little bit more about him, right? Okay. Not just like what yeah. you see when he's on television, but just more about their day to day. And I think Twitter really rewards that kind of examination. Facebook, I'll say, I think people still hold back a little bit. It's just, mm -hmm. that's where the moms are. Your friends you from high school. That's, yeah, that's, okay. you, don't, you don't want to be like, oh, I'm having a really rough day, because you don't want moms to get too worried about you. Then mom calls you, <laughs> mom's, mom's worried friends. about you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, mom likes it all of a sudden. Janet's in yeah. the mix. That's, a, that's true. It's interesting. Well, let's take it to the timeline. Let's just have a little check-in, friends. Mm. How are you feeling this morning, Twitter? Let us know using the hashtag am to dm oh, A little check-in. I really like that. Well, listen, here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News reporter Joe Bernstein. Remember Baraboo? It's the tiny Wisconsin city made infamous for the Zeke Heil prom photo. I went back months later to see how the place reckoned with what happened. We read that piece this morning and whew, it is a journey. Joe joins us now. Good morning. Hey guys, great to be here. Great to be here. Thank you for publishing this profile. You obviously did a lot of work on it. So to begin, when did you first decide to go to Baraboo, Wisconsin and why? Right. Um, I think I first started thinking about it during the whole kind of Covington Catholic flare-up. Um, sort of when the media spotlight moved on from sort of being really angry at one group of white high school boys to another, I started thinking more about the Baraboo photograph and the way it implicated not just the boys but the people in the town. Um, and I, I wanted to do something deeper about how the town itself processed, not just what the boys had done, but how they had processed sort of being in that really intense negative viral spotlight. Yeah, being, being in that spotlight. Can you talk a little bit, because there was confusion, and you tackle it in your piece, how exactly that photo did go viral? Right, so one of the common misconceptions is that that photo was posted right away. In fact, it was taken last May uh, on, on prom morning for these kids in Baraboo, um, by not a professional photographer hired by the school, uh, by the parent of one of the kids in the photograph. He then uploaded the photo onto his personal website where it sat dormant for six months um, before um, an account called Go Baraboo, and there's some confusion around that account, posted the picture 
um, sort of deliberately to shock. From that point, um, a Baraboo resident named Carly Saidi, a young woman who had just graduated from Baraboo High School, um, then sent that tweet to a, a popular uh, online sort of Twitter journalist named Jules Soldatsev, uh, who tweeted the, 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 this picture to hundreds of thousands of his, of his followers. Yeah, and that, of course, set off a whole new experience. Mm-hmm. Um, one reason I really enjoyed your profile is because it's like a time capsule uh, of a viral moment, and it captures not just the town of Peribu, um, but you know our global kind of response to it. And, and you note that the conditions for viral outrage at the time with this photo, I remember seeing the pictures of those kids, and it's like a visceral response. You were like, it, it could not have been better if it was concocted in a lab. So can you talk about the conditions that kind of set us all up for such a visceral reaction. Sure. I mean, so one of the things I really wanted to address in the piece is how in the broader sort of American conversation, the intentions of the kids, fortunately or unfortunately, almost don't matter. Um, Because the things that were happening in the country at the time and still are happening, unbelievably divisive. So um, you had a, a guy who's sort of posted white nationalist things, uh, killed uh, 11 Jews in a, in a synagogue in Pittsburgh. You had the Kavanaugh hearings, which were all about the sort of um, out-of-control privilege of uh, a, a, young, um, a young sort of freshly scrubbed white guy, um, and that sort of divided the country. And then, of course, there's the broader context um, of, of the kind of Trump Twitter American conversation, which is, of course, heavily, heavily divided. So if you put these kids you know, who, who don't really see a world in many cases much larger than Baraboo in this explosive national context. That's what I was really interested in. Mm. Yeah, so when you went to Baraboo, you actually met with members of the Jewish community there, which is a small but tight-knit community. How did they react to the national spotlight and to the way the town reacted? Right. Yeah, so that's um, mixed. So um, on the one hand, these are members of a small town who have deep roots there. So. One of the stories I talk about in the piece is a woman named Kelly Dwyer um, who is family friends uh, with, with the family of one of the boys in the photograph who's saluting. Uh, and they were essentially able to uh, forget, well, she was able to forgive him because he came and apologized to her. So in some ways, the fact that these people live in a small town um, made, uh, made the impact of the photograph less. Uh, on the other hand, the town's sort of strongest instinct um, I found from talking to members of the Jewish community was to protect these boys. And that left many members of the Jewish community and other uh, racial uh, minorities in the LGBT community feeling very isolated and vulnerable. Right. And, and, and that detail, it struck me when I've read reports of reporters who spent time in Covington, Kentucky, and noticing the way these communities, like Baraboo, seem to have this, um, this overwhelming desire to protect the boys. This has been hard on them. They didn't deserve this scrutiny. So what can we learn? Like, what kind of details about particularly how this is handled in our schools mm. um, is going well or not going well? I mean, Baraboo is a tricky case. Uh, the school district, to some extent, evaded responsibility because the photograph was not an official school event and it took place not on school property. Um, I'm told by many sources that the response within the school district has been um, fairly comprehensive. Um, but I think the broader point is that um, a, a community like this needs um, needs a, a response from every sort of stakeholder and institution. So the city government, the police department, the school district. And, and in Baraboo, that didn't really happen in a way 
um, that that enfolded the entire community, and that's what's led to the division there. Mm. Okay, Joe. One of the reasons why I love reading you is you write so eloquently about the intersection of kind of how online hatred can affect the real world. And you were there when the Christchurch, New Zealand shooting happened. You were reporting out this story. So I just wanted to ask real quick before we let you go, how does the culture of racism and hatred online make room for moments like the Baraboo photo and tragedies like what happened in Christchurch? Right. So I don't want to draw a direct line between those two things. And and one thing my reporting showed is that for the vast majority of these boys, this is a very chaotic situation uh, where they did a really, really horrible, tasteless joke uh, that you know will, in some cases, follow them for a long time. Now that said, it doesn't matter what their intentions and the context were. As soon as this image enters the sort of broader um, online social um, ecosystem, and so that's part of the same ecosystem that the Christchurch killer seems to have uh, thrived in. And to me, that is a space that's all about. Um, establishing distance between groups of people, in this case, white people and and minorities of various different kinds. And and I think when we think about dehumanization um, and and these sort of psychological things people need to have happen to do truly terrible things like what happened in Christchurch, there is a connection there. All right, well, Joe, thank you so much for this piece. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, friends, we've got another great show for you today. The incredible Sanaa Latham from Native Sun is here. So excited about that conversation. But up next, it's time for Fire Tweets. Fire! Fire! Welcome back. All right, let's get into these Fire let's Tweets. Let's do it. Our first one comes from the wonderful Anna Borges. Anna tweeted, modern friendship is texting, remind me of your address again, back and forth forever, even though there's literally a space to save addresses right there in your contacts. Yeah. That's really true. Do you feel out any of that? I, I, I was thinking about this. I've done it once for one friend and it's not even you. Like, yeah. it's like very random. That's like the one I've that you have. i saved one address in my I phone. will say you have pictures. You I do. do. In your yeah, phone, you do have pictures. Which that, always, I'm like... Part of me is always like, I don't know if I want to be held to that one picture that that person sees every time <laughs> I, I call. Update them now and then. You like you like update them. Little tip, by the way, friends, put an emoji next to your group text because emojis will stand out. You can name them. Ooh, and then so you're you not can like, figure that Whoops, out. Who did I? Uh oh. I can't give any tips here because I don't have most people's names saved in my phone. So here we go. Nico tweeted, "Me at the movies, pretending like I don't have a George Foreman grill in my bag to pull out and make shrimp fajitas." <laughs> you I think he does look like she's hiding something? Yeah, absolutely. And it is big enough for a George Foreman <laughs> grill. Has, also, she has her sunglasses. Like, where, what's do, going you, on? do you have something you like to bring to the movies? Alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> you like to sneak that in? Just absolutely. A little, little boost. I always listen, man. I, I get it. Movie theaters, you want to support them. It's yeah. a struggling, struggling industry out there. But the fact that matter is Reese's Pieces are so much cheaper at the Walgreens down the street. I'm just saying, let's take this to the timeline. What is your go-to food to sneak into the movie theater? Let us know using the hashtag am to dia I'll never forget having Aunt literally pack sandwiches once when I was a little kid. No. Yeah, was, was there like a blanket? Was there cutlery? <laughs> she just, she just had a whole something for you and a little A service with soup? I was mortified. I was like eight years old. I, I love it. it. I love it. All right, our next tweet is from Kay. She is looking forward to summer. You tweeted, nobody 
mosquitoes this summer. Come outside, bitch. Ain't nobody gonna jump you. <laughs> okay, like right now, it's like pollen. <laughs> Be like, oh, do walk outside soon. Yeah. You you get you. I you are always fine. We learned this when we were doing the road trip last year. Isaac is always fine. I get covered in mosquito bites if I don't do a lot of. Uh, it's like easier to travel with you. I get less mosquito bites. <laughs> yeah, Isaac's like, just stay close. Yeah, just stay close. I hate it's it. Awesome. It's because uh, you're so sweet. Uh, All right, you ready? Okay, Tweet of the day. Let's go. Tweet of the day comes from Al. Just got an email from a student where they referred to the 90s as the late 1900s. Here's the thing, it's accurate. It's accurate. That is the late 1900s. Yes. Yeah. They're not the 90s. Thank They're you. not the 90s. Oh, man. All right. Well, coming up, Chantal sits down with Sanaa Latham. But up next, we're going live from the district. Back in the late 1900s. No. no. Welcome back. We're going live from the district. Here's a tweet from CNN's Caitlin Collins. A White House staff member told House investigators that the Trump administration granted security clearances to at least 25 people who were initially denied them for a range of disqualifying issues, such as fears about foreign influence. Very low stakes. Yeah. <laughs> well, joining us now to talk about this story is BuzzFeed News Capitol Hill reporter Emma Loop. Emma, good morning. Good morning. All right, so let's get into it. Um, according to the whistleblower, why were those security clearance denials reversed? So according to this whistleblower, people above her stepped in and granted them anyway, uh, including her immediate boss. And so basically these career officials within the office in the White House that grant security clearances were overruled by people above them. Okay, overruled by people above them. Do we know who these 25 people are by any chance? We don't know by name. What we know is that many of them are contractors, you know, employees of that nature. But we do know that two of them are senior White House officials. And there's been the suggestion that those are Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump. There's been some reporting about how the president himself stepped in to get Kushner a security clearance after there were concerns raised uh, about giving him a security clearance. And so the feeling is it could be them. Okay. This question I'm about to ask you is so reasonable, it almost sounds stupid <laughs> in the context of what we know, but I'm going to ask it. Why do foreign security clearance issues keep coming up with this administration? You know, I think the issue here is that the people who are working in this administration and the president himself are not, you know, career public servants, career political figures. These are people who had complicated business entanglements before their time in politics. And so I think naturally these issues would come up with people of, you know, this kind of background. And so that's really, it seems, kind of the core of the issue. But there could be other issues as well that we're just not simply aware of. Not a group that like is like, oh, we always cleared back background checks. We've always been clearing background checks. Mm. It's like all of a sudden, oh, no, background checks. Mm. Got it. Uh, so is there anything that the House Oversight Committee can do about this? Will they do anything about it? 
Well, of course, Democrats have control of the House now. Elijah Cummings is now the chairman of the Oversight Committee, and he has subpoena power. And basically, he has notified the White House that he doesn't want to use the compulsory process, i.e. subpoenas, uh, to get the documents and the testimony that he wants, but he's willing to do it. So he has, you know, sent those warning shots. Okay, and, and as I noted, um, this whistleblower, and I want to say her name, uh, Trisha Newbold, because, you know, I think whistleblowers do a very important service, frankly. Um, she also highlights, like, some workplace harassment issues. What do we know about that? Right, so she has a form of dwarfism, and she says that, uh, you know, she's been retaliated against and that basically her superior uh, has been placing things out of reach for her, whether it's kind of documents or or other things, and that this is a form of harassment. Uh, we haven't, you know, heard, you know, what his perspective is on this, but she does believe that he is kind of picking on her um, by putting things out of her reach. Oh, wow. Okay, and now I've read, though, that she's actually going to return to work, which seems kind of new. So will there be next steps for her in those other complaints? Mm -hmm. Uh, we'll see. So, yeah, she's going back to work. And I, from what I've read is she's quite concerned about how people in the White House are going to, you know, acknowledge her and treat her once she returns. So we shall see what happens. We'll wow. see what happens. Well, Emma, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. And uh, before we go, we also wanted to highlight a piece published overnight by Catherine Miller. She's a politics ed editor here at BuzzFeed, and she wrote a great piece on Joe Biden. Here's just a tweet from that piece. Um, you already know what you think about Joe Biden touching people in public, which is why everyone sounds so weird talking about it and writing about it. A lot of insight there. Yeah, Catherine is, does such a good job when it comes to culture and politics right. and where they intersect. And that's what I, she's one of my favorite writers, Agreed. if I'm being totally honest. And I just love this piece so much because it kind of talks about, one, what a gray area conversation this is to have, but also so many people come to it with their minds already made up. Right. I don't think there's no hot take or no really nuanced op-ed is actually going to change a way somebody comes to this situation. Yeah, and I guess if there's a thread this morning that I just now kind of noticed, if we're thinking about uh, the Covington Catholic, you know, that moment um, on Capitol Hill, or the students in Baraboo, Wisconsin, and that photo, and now Joe Biden, where these moments were one, mm. you know, we, these are ongoing narratives, and so yeah, maybe we've prematurely reached some conclusions, but also because, like, the, the nuance of what's right, mm -hmm. what's wrong, and, and how do we adjudicate something that's like not a legal issue necessarily is hard. Especially when it happens like this uh -huh. and then the timeline moves on. Yeah. Well, listen, up next, Stephanie's conversation with Veep's Timothy Simons. All right, little, little nuance, little satire. <laughs> Stay tuned. Welcome back. I am so excited to be joined by Timothy Simons, who plays everyone's favorite character to insult Jonah Ryan on Veep. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on, Timothy. I'm such a huge fan of the show. Oh, thanks. And you talked a lot about being the butt of a lot of jokes on the mm -hmm. show. Uh, fans call you Jolly Green Jizz Face, Jonad, many more. So I have to wonder, do your, do your castmates go out of their way to be like, hey, like, how are you doing after they insult you all the time on set? No, honestly, they don't. <laughs> and in this moment, I'm realizing that maybe they should have been. They've actually made no effort to make me feel better about this at all. There was one insult I remember from like season five where somebody just mentions like, 
uh, I think, oh, it was like Shawnee, my, my, the woman who plays my fiance last season. Uh, like we hooked up and I, and I only have one testicle because I had testicular cancer. And I asked her if that was weird. And she was like, honestly, no, it was the hips. And I was like, oh, that one played into like some real seventh grade like some real seventh grade fears about yourself. Yeah. And no, no, nobody, nobody made me feel better about it, any of it at any time. See, I feel like they're just insulting you all day. I feel like afterwards I'd be like, hey buddy, you know I really like you. No? No, you think. <laughs> and now I've always said that we were such a close cast, and now I'm really gonna question that. It's like that tweet about the group chat last week, like maybe like they're all talking about you behind your back. I mean, I don't wanna like do any sort There's of thing. There's a group things. chat? I don't know, I don't know. There oh. was a, I'm, I'm referencing yes, a tweet a from chat. last week. They're probably, they're probably all on the Today Show right now, and I don't know about it. As a, this is great. Well, I didn't want to bring all of this up, but let's let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> let's you know move what? on. You know why I'm here? Fuck Tony Hale. That's what I came here to say. <laughs> Tony Hale's a piece of shit. I'm gonna go into this camera. Tony Hale. <laughs> go, <laughs> Tony Hale, I dislike you immensely, and I'm glad I get to finally get to say it. This is why our viewers tune into AMDDM and the right? show. For the grudges. For the grudges. I actually and the really hate. love Tony Hale. He's a wonderful person. I can't even keep that bit going. <laughs> He's like a truly wonderful human being. I'm very sorry. I'm stepping on my own bit. It's okay. It's okay. Well, obviously, Jonah is the most hated member of the cast on mm -hmm. Veep. And I, you, okay, so you're watching Veep and you have to be like, okay, this is probably something that all the characters are based on real people, right? So who do you think is the Jonah Ryan of this administration? They're fucking all Jonah Ryans. That's, they're all, they are all like talentless and classless and, 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 um, and just unbelievably unintelligent and and, and uh, people with no integrity. That is top to bottom the administration. Just put them all in one big pile and they're all the worst people you've ever met. I know that's not, I'm like, I wish I could pick out one. I don't know, Jared Kushner. I don't know, see, that yeah, guy sucks. I, 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 could, I could see a Jared Kushner. Did you have any inspiration for the character, like a real life person that you try to draw on someone in politics? Uh, no, I, not any one, not any one person in particular. Because at that time, you could, well, not any one person in particular. It was mostly just like kind of like the general sense that like people in D.C. were really just concerned, and a lot of like lower level staffers just concerned with their like their proximity to power. There was this thing that happened in the first couple seasons that uh, during the Obama administration, every single person that worked in any way with the campaign or the administration, they would change their Facebook photos. Like uh, there would be a picture of, uh, of Obama and then they would find the one in Getty Images where they were in the background and then <laughs> yes. they would make that their profile photo. So I just kind of based it on that idea. There wasn't really any, I know that the writers had one person from the Obama administration in mind that I found out who that was and I will never say who it is uh, just because who wants to have their entire life blown up like that? So I'm not ever gonna say it, but they had one guy, but I never met that guy. So I didn't really base it on one person in particular. I would love to know who it is. Maybe yeah. you can tell me after the show. Well, yeah. speaking of the Obama administration, we had Reed Scott. Wouldn't on. it be great if that was still happening, the Obama administration? Right. He, Reed actually said last week on the show that he didn't think that Veep could even get off the ground today because the whole point was that it was such a satirical look at government, but it only worked because we were in a relatively normal administration in a relatively normal time in politics. And now, if someone tried to pitch Veep, it'd be like, yeah, that's, that's Tuesday. Do you think that's true? 
true? No, I do think that there is something to it. Also, I wonder if like people would be interested in it, only in the fact that we're so inundated, not only with, well, like, I don't know. It's, it's all a lot less funny now. This is like a very sincere answer. Like, I don't really find politi politics particularly funny outside of work now, like, because there is such a human cost to everything that's happening. So it's really hard for me to, like, wake up and see some sort of terrible thing that's happening and be like, oh, I have a solid joke about that. Like, I, I don't know. So, but also, like, it's just like you can't, you can't outdo it. You can't outdo it. And even if you did, like, the depths of cruelty you'd have to go to to outdo it is pretty ridiculous. I feel like watching Veep is almost like an escape from the current political climate at this point. It's like, if only our only worry was one of the random things that Selena's getting into, like having to sit and coach and not yeah. Trump constant bullshit. <laughs> I wish, I mean, like, if we were still just worried about tan suits, that'd be amazing. But no, like, somehow our... our show has become aspirational. Like we become like an aspirational and like a, a sort of well-meaning group of people. We want Jonah Ryan to actually be president. Yeah, although you haven't seen the rest of this season, he, he really goes off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're really outspoken on Twitter about your political beliefs. Do you feel more empowered because you're a part of this political show or is that something you've always been interested in? Um, it's something I've generally been interested in, but I think I've learned a little bit more about it now. And I don't know, there is also that thing where I'm like, also, I'm on a show about politics, which I think leads people to make me like, leads people to believe that I know more about it than I actually do. And then also, like being outspoken on Twitter, kind of sucks because Twitter enables a bunch of white supremacists and anti-vaxxers. So now I'm really even questioning if that's like a good place to be. So this is on Twitter, right? This is on Twitter. Okay, cool. But you know so, what? We we right. speak the truth here. We speak truth to power. Jack, if you're <laughs> listening, please get the white supremacists off Twitter. That would be um, a good thing. Also, just the anti-vaxxers while you're there, too. Um, so, I don't know. I, I, wasn't, I was interested in it before, and I'm much more interested in it now. I feel like I, but I, again, like, when it comes to, like, the congressional, like, some people ask me about trade partnerships, and I'm like, they will, ask, they will ask me personally if I know, like, what's your take on that? I'm like, I don't have a take on trade partnerships. <laughs> That's way outside of what I know. I don't even know if Jonah would have a take on trade partnerships. Oh, no, yeah, he would know even less than I would and yeah. he's running for president. <laughs> exactly. Okay, well, before you go, I want to play a little game with you. And we played it with your co-star, Reed Scott. Are you ready? Okay. It's called... Who the Beep? Okay, so we're going to have a 10-second timer on the screen and you have to name as many vice presidents as you possibly can. And if oh. you want to be Reed, he only did three. So it should be oh, pretty God. easy to beat. Okay. Are Ready? You, has it started? Okay, no. Ready, go. Okay, uh, so currently Mike Pence, uh, Joe Biden, um, uh, before that Dick Cheney, and then uh, all the way back to the beginning, John Adams. He was the first vice president, right? You oh. did it! Oh, nice. You got all right, four. All right, that's fine. Okay, so that's not the score to beat. That's four? Okay, that's four. Four is the score to Anna's beat. Anna's going to come in here, and in 10 seconds, she's going to get nine of them. I would actually put money on that. Well, Anna has actually studied. <laughs> well, Dimbley, thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited for the final season of awesome. Beef. It is airing Sunday nights on HBO, and up next, Chantal is talking to Sanaa Lathan. 
sitting down with actress Sanaa Lathan, who's starring in the Twilight Zone reboot and HBO movie Native Son, and who was just nominated for an NAACP Image Award. Good morning. <laughs> good morning. How are you? I'm good. I love your hair. Thank you so much. Me. So I mean, good. your ponytail. Can I just say it has Thank added you. 10 years onto my life? Can we get into it, please? <laughs> like, hello, your hair looks beautiful. Yes. Uh, these are the styles of Ursula. The queen, you know. Ursula Stevens. Yes. Her shout She's out. The queen. Love her. So amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are in the new Twilight Zone reboot, which I'm so, yes. so geared yes. up for. I mean, executive produced by Jordan Peele. Yes. What was it like working with him? It was amazing. Um, I've always been a fan of his, and uh, I used to watch The Twilight Zone, and so many of the episodes kind of stay with you, and it's just amazing entertainment, edge-of-your-seat entertainment that also kind of has, like, each episode has, like, a, a moral kind of question at the end mm -hmm. that makes you kind of reflect and, you know, um, think about, you know, your life or what you would do in a situation. So I'm really excited about it. I'm too. Yeah. I'm like so, I'm like ready and prepared for it. It's such a favorite of mine. And Us just broke the record for the biggest opening weekend Amazing. for a film. I mean, for a black lead woman, the, the lead role. Yes. Was previously held by your film in 2004, <laughs> yes. Alien vs. Predator. Yes. You know, Slight So what does it mean to see this film after 15 years yes. in Hollywood break this record? Like, yeah. what does that look like for Hollywood? That, it's just so exciting. I yeah. mean, when I was coming up, I've been in the business for all my life, but really professionally for about 20 years. I could literally count on one hand the women of color that were working as actresses. And, and um, now I can't, I don't even know the names of everybody. Yes. And I love okay. that. You know, the fact that they're finally, you know, this business is starting to reflect the world that we live in and all of its color and all of its uh, differences is exciting to me. Yeah, it's so beautiful. Like yeah. the range that we're seeing black actresses in. You're yeah. also in the the film Native Son, the yes. film adaptation of Richard Wright's, you know, Native Son. Such yeah. a beautiful work of art. And yeah. I had a chance to recently watch it. Such a moving piece of work. Yeah. I mean, Ashton Sanders. So Ashton riveting. Sanders, amazing. And I really love the approach of you see like a slightly unconventional take it has with black masculinity, right? You see how complex his character is. Yeah. What is the importance of that in this film and seeing this black character portrayed this way? Um it's so important. I mean, I was so, um, I was excited to read the script written by Susan Lloyd Parks, who's an iconic, amazing playwright. Um, and Rashid Johnson, he is a first time film director, but uh, a accomplished, celebrated visual artist. And you can see that in the movie. And um, I just wanted to be a part of this classic telling of this, you know, you know chilling devastating, thought-provoking uh, novel. And um, I'm really proud of it. Yeah. I think people will be very moved by it. Yeah, it's yeah. so good. I mean, I just was like, oh, the entire time. Yes. And in the film, you're working alongside young stars, Kiki Lane yes. and Ashton Sanders yes. I mean, from Barry Jenkins of Bill Street Could Talk and Moonlight. Like, what brilliant young stars. Amazing. And you've mentioned that, you know, when you were beginning your career, you didn't have, like, the best, like, you know, interactions and people kind of treat you badly. You're older No, you know what? That was, a, like, a quote that uh -huh. was so taken out of context. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was talking about how amazing it was to work with Lynn Whitfield. Okay. And I literally said one thing mm -hmm. about an experience that I had okay. with another woman. And then they made it a story about I was treated bad my whole career. No, that's not it. So let me set the record yes, straight, y'all. set it straight. Let them know. <laughs> um, it was, I was basically just highlighting that it was so amazing to work with Lynn Woodfield. Um, and um, 
as far as like all of these young, amazing stars, they're so inspiring mm -hmm. to me. And um, I'm, I feel lucky to get to work with such special talent. Yeah. Yeah. What's it like? I mean, like Ashton Sanders and Kiki Lane, like, was there any advice that you poured into them just like interacting? You know, it's with so them? funny because I, you know, when I first was looking at the script, I was like, I'm old enough to play his, his mama, huh? <laughs> you know, I was like, wow, okay, okay, um, that's what we're doing now. Um, and, but when I first met him, it was just so natural. Mm -hmm. There was that chemistry. I just wanted to kind of like nurture him yeah. and, and just, you know, encourage him and give him advice. So it was like a natural kind of motherly instinct that I had with him. So it made my job really easy. It was like, it was a natural chemistry you two had. It was yeah. Very, I believe that. I was like, is she oh, actually mom? Like, what's happening? Right, right. It's such a believable performance. And Thank you. You've been famous for such a long time. And j during an age where we didn't have social media, yeah. everything happens at a blink of an eye on social media. Yeah. Yes. What's it like dealing with Hollywood rumors and just yeah. like the fast pace about everything circulates nowadays? You know, it's such, it's like, isn't it, doesn't it feel like it's changing by the day? It does. Like it's getting like more and more intense yeah. every day. Who knows what it's going to be like in two years. But, um, you know, when I was coming up, yeah, I think that whenever you're doing something um, where, you know, eyes are on you, mm -hmm. there's going to be rumors. And I learned early, early on in my career to just let it roll off your back. You know, if they're not talking about you, then you ain't doing, okay, you hello, ain't doing much, know. you know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, my mother taught me that uh, early on. And yeah. so I learned that lesson early on. And you just have to just kind of roll with it and just yeah. keep your eyes on your road. Absolutely. And I think as black women, we are gays and look at it in a certain way and talk about it in a certain way. Yeah. I think one thing I think is important to have a tribe of women around you. So and true. You have a, a, a pretty sure dope, do. uh, close to a group of women. Yeah. One of my favorites, my favorite comedic actress, Regina Hall. Yes. You've been best friends with her like over 20 yes, years now? Yes, we met on Best Man oh, in yes. New York um, close to 20 years ago. And then we did we played uh, Sisters in Love and Basketball, mm -hmm. and we did Bus Man Holiday together. So, um, yeah, she's like a, a sister to me, and uh, it's so great to have somebody close to you who's kind of on a similar yes. road because it's a very specific journey just to be an actor, mm -hmm. period, um, and then also to be a black you know, female actor yeah. in this business. So, you know, it's nice to have somebody who's you know, understands the struggles, you know, and on those days when you're just like, oh gosh. Call her up. Yeah, Girl, yeah. Hey, yeah, let's, exactly. Let's I mean, yeah, I definitely. had a chance to talk with her last year and interview her, and I'm just so proud and happy of her success that yeah. she's had in recent years from Girls Trip to yeah. support the girls, which she got accolades for, which is amazing, amazing and performance. You, yes, amazing. You got a chance to present her with the award, the yes. Black Essence yes. Hollywood Award, which I was like, oh my goodness, I like know. this sistership that you two have, what is it like for you to be such dear friends with her and sisters to see yeah. her finally getting these roses? It's amazing. Yeah. You know, I mean, you see how, you know, she's been working hard mm -hmm. and she's super talented and it is, um, it's always nice to see, you know, the accolades, mm -hmm. you know, we do it for, you know, the idea is to do it, you know, it's about focusing on the journey. It's not about the destination, but it's also nice to get that validation. Yeah, I can totally see you two doing like a lead role film together. Yes, we may have something in the Do works. you? Yes, oh my something very exciting, but 
It's a little too early to talk about. Okay. Yeah. So you two are collabing on something. Yes. Awesome. Excited for that. I would love to see you two do like a heist film. Oh, really? Okay. Like put it out there, girl. Action to action. <laughs> back to back. I really envision it. So okay. You just put it in the universe. You know, we'll wait and see what happens. But I just, I love that friendship so much. It's beautiful. Oh, thank and you. And I also just love like your trajectory and your career. I mean, thank you. From love and basketball to best men's holiday to best man. Just, yeah. I mean, you've done such great work. I've been work. so blessed. And Brown yeah. Sugar, one of my personal favorites. Oh, yeah. Um, Goodness. I was too young to be up there like, oh my gosh, girl. Like, I love that movie so much. So what's been your favorite role or film that you're really gravitated towards and you just like, that was like my proudest projects yet? You know, I don't really, um, I don't, hold on, let me fix my shirt. Look, uh, you look wonderful. Okay. I don't, um, you know, I, you know, I'm kind of like, I know this sounds PC, but I, it's very true. I don't have any favorites. It's like they're all my babies. Yeah. It's like, you know, choosing a favorite. Yeah. Um, you poured so much into each other. Yeah, and I also kind of had the belief that when I'm done with the character, it's like I just send it off into the universe and it's like, okay, it's not mine anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, um, and you know, people do with it what they want, you know, and so I'm just, it's exciting to start to see. I always, my intention was always to have a, a body of work because I really love acting and I love stepping into- And you're into, good at it. Thank you. I love stepping <laughs> into different characters and so it's great to finally start to see, wow, I have a body of work now, yeah. It's amazing. Well, Sonal, thank you for joining us. Thank and congratulations you. on Twilight Zone and Naked Sun. <laughs> so, so, so happy thank for you. Thank you so much. All right, y'all. Sonal's episode of The Twilight Zone airs Thursday, April 11th on CBS All Access. Native Sun premieres on HBO this Saturday, April 6th. Up next, we're talking to author Elizabeth McCracken. Welcome back. Lee Randall tweeted, Oh, my heart. It is broken and it is full. It glows. I have finished Bowlaway and I am blown away. Buy it, read it, be altered. Thank you, Elizabeth McCracken. Elizabeth McCracken, author of Bowlaway, joins me now. Hi, Elizabeth. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. What a great tweet. I mean, like, I understand it changes you. Bowlaway really, I'm sure it changed you, especially having written it. <laughs> I'll never be the same. Um, so for those who have not experienced this, can you tell us what it's about? Sure, it's it's sort of about a Candlepin bowling alley. That is all. It's a hundred years, and all of the action um, is around a, a Candlepin bowling alley. Which is, if you are not from New England, and so you don't know that this is real, true bowling. Candlepin bowling is um, they have straight up and down pins and little um, balls that fit in your hand. Um, but it's about three generations in this very New England. A town playing a very New England sport. And there are cryptids and maybe a UFO and some ghosts. <laughs> Just, you know, those normal things you think of with bowling. Um, exactly. How did your family and ancestry inspire you throughout this? Well, I was trying to figure out the next novel that I was going to write, and I began to read my grandfather McCracken's genealogies, hoping there was going to be a little anecdote that I could try to wrap a novel around. And I didn't find anything, but the names were so fantastic that I began to write them down and characters sort of suggested to the, themselves to me based on the names. There's a guy named Jephthah Arison, uh, Dr. Leviticus Sprague, Bertha Truitt, uh, the, um, Joe Ware. Um, and so they're, they're not anybody I'm related to and the characters are entirely made up, but it, it began with the genealogies. Yeah, the names are evocative in a, an interesting way. Um, and, and this is your first novel in about 18 years. What was it like coming back to fiction? 
it was nice. And I'd written short stories in that time, but also a memoir. And it wasn't that I should make clear. It wasn't that I was away from fiction. It's that I was doing a really bad job of it. And I wrote a couple of novels that ended up in a, a drawer. And that having, having put aside two novels, actually three novels, um, I've, there's one that wasn't that painful to give up. So I sort of forget about it. Um, was actually really freeing because I felt like I had made a lot of mistakes trying to figure out what other people might think of when they read a novel. And when I wrote this one, I thought, well, this one might be going in the drawer too. So I'm just going to cram everything I've ever wanted to put into a novel into this one. I mean, it's, it's sprawling. That's a word that people bring up. And I think also whimsy. Um, and you've mentioned that the, it's important for you to have humor and grief together in a, a novel. Do you think you need to have a sense of humor to write a compelling story about grief? You know, there are people who would disagree with me. And I, I'm always very clear that whenever a writer is talking about what books should do, what they mean is, this is what I want my books to do, or this is what I like in a book. But to me, that is the, consol the consolation of grief is that life makes jokes all the time. And so when I read books about grief that don't have humor in them, they don't seal, seem real to me. It feels as though the, the, a, a very important part of the grieving process has actually been excised with a scalpel. Yeah, yeah. It's so rare to just only have one, especially when you're covering such a wide range of, you know, generations. Um, so before we go, I did want to bring up Porter Square Books tweeted, which of your favorite <laughs> books would make the best Broadway musical? And someone mentioned your book in the responses. So we're wondering if you would ever like to see Bolaway become a musical or a movie. I have to say a musical would be a dream. I love Broadway musicals, so. <laughs> yeah, uh, do you have like a dream cast for Bertha? Oh, I don't know. I haven't even thought about it. Yeah. She's so my Bertha that I would be happy to let any actress who wanted to try her, yeah. try her. Well, if you if it comes to you, you know, feel free to tweet it out and let the people know. <laughs> Excuse you want to know. me, sorry. No, it's fine. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Elizabeth, for joining us today. Uh, Bolaway is available now everywhere books are sold. And check out BuzzFeedBookClub.com to read along with the BuzzFeed Book Club this month. Up next, Isaac and Saeed are reading more of your tweets. Don't go far. Welcome back. There's something very fun happening on the other side of the room, and I'm not going to spoil the surprise, but I love seeing it happen. Um, earlier this morning, we just wanted to see how you were feeling, just checking with the vibes. Um, Sprouting Shibe says, easily discouraged, <laughs> but it's cool, I'm fabulous, and everything is going to work out as well. I, you know, been there. Love that optimism, but also that gets into the conversation we're having, right? Which is on Twitter, you are okay saying, you know what, actually right. a little easily discouraged, you know, feeling a little rough, you can kind of give the nuance to, to the whole self. And I think it's just easier to move on. Like when you're just like, ah, kind of feel like shit or woke up. Like this morning, in my case, I swear to God, before I hit my alarm, I was like, at least it's almost Friday. And I was like, oh, it's very not, you know. And then able to move on as opposed to when you have these little grievances, keeping them to yourselves means you have to keep them. You know, and, and so, then in the Instagram photos where you do do that on that platform, it starts to come out. The smiles uh, don't reach the uh, eyes. Uh, the smiles, uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, we also asked, what food do you sneak into the movie theater? And Random Jay says, 
KFC and Hella Sweets. I have a particular jacket that I wear that is oversized and has big pockets. So I waddle my ass into screening stocked up. I'm trying to upgrade to a whole pizza though. One, dream big. I love the idea. You are of- never gonna k- me, catch me eating fried chicken in a goddamn movie oh. theater. No, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Just plastic lined pockets, plastic lined pockets. You put it in. I like the That's upgrade. Really how- funny. I was really trying to think when I saw the tweet earlier today. Like, how would you try to get a whole pizza? What would be, I mean, I guess you got a stack, right? You definitely can't get it flat. You'd have you to have it in a. You could have it in a bag. You could cut it up. It could not be a whole pizza. You could. I don't know. It would know, have to man. be a little, like maybe a little personal pizza. Okay. Cut into four pieces. Okay. And I'm sure you could. What about fake little really tummy? What about fake little tummy situation with like a built? You could build a thing that comes out and kind of holds it. <laughs> then you kind of remove the. You, you're thinking this through. <laughs> I want to become the Q from James Bond of sneaking pizzas into movie theaters. Screaming. Just let us know how you would sneak a pizza in. I'm going to do an impromptu one right now oh using the hashtag oh, aimed in no. DM. Uh, well, <laughs> Larry had this to say about the Timothy Simons interview, which was so funny. You probably heard me and Isaac laughing yeah. in the control. It was mostly you. Was mostly I got me. blamed it's for true. it. It's true. I'm insulted <laughs> that people confuse our laughs. How dare you? Uh, but you tweeted, whoa, damn the impression Timothy Simon gives of the current administration on aimed DM. Snap, girl. He was he was dragging us all. He was so good. <laughs> no one was safe. He was very very so funny. funny. And I like the mustache. It looks, Timothy. If you're still watching, you look wonderful with that mustache. It's a good look. I do agree. It is a good look. Well, listen. Thank you so much to our guests, Joe Bernstein, Emma Loop, Chantal Rochelle, Sonna Latham, Ari- I'm sorry, Ariana Rebellini, Elizabeth McCracken, Stephanie McNeil, and Timothy Simon. And we will be back here tomorrow, which is Wednesday at 10 a.m. Have a great day. That, I won't lie, the fact that it's Wednesday, that actually seems, now that seems quick. Mm -hmm. It's all part of it. (laughs) 